I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to ask you a question. What do you see? 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 I was overwhelmed yesterday morning when I picked up my phone and I get headlines that scroll through, you know, in the morning when you get up, you see them. And I saw the headline about the earthquake that happened in Nepal and started reading those headlines and clicked over to read some of the stories and started to scroll through them and read them. And some of the things that they had on there were things like demolished, in big, bold letters, Um, devastated. Um, There was no chance. That was one of the headlines yesterday throughout the day. Some of the things they wrote were there was a 700 count right off the bat of how many people passed away, but you knew by looking at those pictures, didn't you, that that would rise? So that was 9 o'clock, our time yesterday morning. That number showed up. And by 11, it was doubled, up to 1,500. And then this morning, I looked at the um, headlines, and it said 2,300-plus people. And you know it's just going to rise. You know it will. They also said that it triggered an avalanche at Mount Everest. So on top of the million people in the valley who are dealing with um, this tragedy, there's also people up in the mountain that just keep getting hit by these avalanches. And then this morning, they got hit with another aftershock, a big one, which I can't imagine what that would feel like. If I lived there, if I knew people there, I cannot imagine. Uh, They described some of the, from the the people who were there, they said it's chaotic and, and overwhelming. I can only imagine. They said that the earthquake was severe to violence, the highest rated Um, way to rate an earthquake, severe to violent. And then last night as I'm reading the story about mid-afternoon, it would be night for them, they said the temperature was falling, uh, the weather was worsening, and all I could think was, where are they going? I mean, where do they go? You know, they're in a valley. They they can't get out. And then I thought, well, they don't have electricity. Um, They have no way to communicate. They're listening to the radio on their cars. And they don't even realize that we're all watching them. And we can see it, but they don't know it. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Just, it would, I'm sure it's desperation for them, don't you think? I mean, I would feel desperation. 
And then you watch some of the videos and the people and they're crying and they're saying, I can't find my children. Oh, you know, you relate, you put yourself in their shoes. So my question to you would be, what does it do to your heart? And at one point, what point this morning already have you turned me off? At what point did I lose you? Because we are a technology culture. And so we're overwhelmed sometimes by what we can see and read about, right? And so we condition ourselves to, okay, I've had enough, click. So yesterday, between the stats of the 700 and then the 1400, um, I ran errands with Troy, we hit Home Depot, we bought a bird feeder, right? I mean, life has to go on, so I just click it off, and I don't allow what goes into my eyes and what I hear to hit my heart, because it's just too painful, right? How many of you guys feel that way? What can we do, right? Then I remembered Emma uh, from our church here, Emma Kaufman, spent last semester there in Nepal. And so I text Paul and said, how is Emma doing with this news? And it comes back in the text. She had friends there, and she's still waiting to hear from them. I'm, you know, now it's closer to home. Now it engages my heart, right? Um, I don't know anyone there. But I know I can see and just tell by what I'm watching that it's devastating. So I have to decide, what do I do with that, right? What do you do with it? How easy is it for you to click it off and go hit Home Depot and get the things you need and just kind of, well, I can't do anything for that. I mean, Paula's thing to me as soon as she texted me back was, please pray. Please, please pray for these people. And I texted her back and said, absolutely, I'll be praying. And so I did. But then I checked out, went and did my things. How many of you relate to that? When you're exposed to the needs, what do you do with it? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So there's an interesting story in the Bible. And uh, this man comes to Jesus, and, and he wants to know, how do I have that assurance of being in heaven? And so in this story we're going to look at this morning, Jesus, of course, as only Jesus does, he flips the whole thing around and answers in a different way. So we're going to look at that this morning. So the passage is in Luke. If you want to grab your Bibles or I have the passage up here, you can read with me. Otherwise, we have Bibles in the back, and you can take one home if you don't have one at home. So it's in Luke chapter 10. Let's read it together. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And so he says, teacher... What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I do to make sure I get into heaven? And Jesus says, well, tell me what's written in the law. I mean, you know it. You study it. You study the law. And he says, how do you read it? And so the man answers back, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So he knows the passages, right? He knows the answer. So Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, you do this and you will live. Well, then the guy kind of wants to make sure. So now he's double checking. And he says, just wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and exactly who is my neighbor? 
so that I make sure I love the right one so that I make sure I get into heaven, right? So just tell me who he is and I'll just do it. And then there won't be any emotional interaction, right? So if I tell you guys exactly who you should go out and serve lunch to and you're good to go and you know you go to heaven, do you see how this is working out for him? So that's kind of what he's asking. And then Jesus decides to answer in a different way. So let's see what he says. In reply, Jesus says, and he tells a story, and you know the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, and they left him half dead. And then a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed up on the other side. So they both saw him, and they both passed him by. Now there's something very interesting about why Jesus used these two people. So I've highlighted him, a priest and a Levite. A priest and a Levite back then were the highest of authority in their culture. So it would be like, I'm just going to use two names, not saying that they would walk by someone, but let's just use Billy Graham and let's use the Pope, okay? So those are our two kind of what we would say, oh, you know, they are highest authority, okay? Um, or let's say even locally, let's say it's the church, we'll say it's Troy, okay? And so Jesus points out and says that they saw the man who was beaten, I mean, try to picture that, beaten on the side of the road, left half dead, and they literally crossed to the other side and went on their way. I think that's so interesting because, well, I point my finger right at them and go, ah, oh, shame on them. And then I realize, oh my goodness, I'm them. <laughs> you know, I do that and I do it really well. And so I, I work at a church. So, you know, maybe I was preoccupied. Maybe they were preoccupied. Maybe they had a lot on their mind and they just thought, gee, I don't have the time or someone else will stop or certainly there's so many people that come by through here, they'll stop and help him, I don't have to worry about him. Or maybe they were afraid. Maybe they just thought, oh my goodness, maybe they're still lurking. Maybe they'll come and attack me. And so they stayed away from him. Or maybe they judged him. Maybe they thought, well, you were an idiot. You shouldn't have been traveling here with all of your goods. You know, you should know better than to be here with all your things. Or, you know, I would have never let that happen to me. So this is your own fault, right? So as you think about what they may have thought about, um, can you relate? Seeing a need and then walking by it. Surely you've been in that position. You can relate to that. Um, just this week, just this week. <laughs> so I'm the Levite. I walk right out of the office on Wednesday, and Jeanette is sitting. She works with me. She's sitting with a gal from the food pantry who's come to pick up some food. And we're a, we're a backup pickup site for groceries for the giving tree. And so the families, we have about 20 families that come through our doors every month and pick their groceries up here. And it's really cool because then we get a chance to sit down and talk with them and spend some time with them. And I walked out of the office on Wednesday. It was about 
four o'clock and Jeanette was sitting there and I walk out and I say to Jeanette, well, I see the gal, I say hi to her, her daughter's sitting in the other chair and I can tell they're distressed and Jeanette's helping them and I come out and my first words are, okay, I'm gonna go home now. After I said hi to her, I'm gonna go home. I have to work out my passwords on my computer. Somebody hacked my computer and they, they may have my information. I gotta go. I am like rattling on and on. And about halfway through, while my mouth is still like motoring, I've got this other track going on in my head and I can see this lady. I'm talking right to her, not even to Jeanette, and I'm saying, can you believe somebody hacked my computer? In my head, I'm thinking, she's probably trying to figure out how to feed her family tonight, Trisha. Would you shut up, you know? And I can't figure out how to stop what I just did. You know, like just all about me. I just had to get home, take care of my computer, take care of all my passwords so nobody gets all my stuff. And here she is trying to figure out how to feed her family. And I just, oh my goodness, it was like that conviction. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. It really got me. I just thought, oh, if I could have those two minutes back, I would do it different. <laughs> so I am the Levite. I get that. I get the turn it off, um, click, turn the TV off. I don't have to deal with that now. Those people aren't really digging uh, through the rubble to find their families because I'm going to Home Depot. There isn't anything going on if I turn it off, and then I don't have to let it hit my heart, and I don't have to respond to it. Do you follow what I'm saying? I think, we, I think Jesus, when he tells this story, is trying to capture this man to say, what is your heart doing? It's not who are you serving. It's not who is your neighbor. He doesn't even tell him who his neighbor is. He's more saying, are you going to respond and stop on the side of the road? So let's see what he says as he continues the story. Then he tells the story of another person, and another character comes in. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine on it, then he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then it goes on to say the next day he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Whoa. That's a different story, isn't it? Then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want you to notice that. Remember back at the beginning of the story, the guy asks, who is my neighbor? Just tell me who it is. Tell me who I need to serve so that I get into heaven. Right? And then Jesus comes back. He always turns it upside down and he says, do you, who do you think was a neighbor to the man? What he was saying was, who do you think had a heart condition, compassion? In the New Testament, it says all the, I mean, over and over are passages where it says, Jesus saw them, had compassion. And if you continue in those passages, it talks about what he does. It creates action. There's something that comes of it. It's you're compelled to do it. You don't wait. 
And in, in this scenario, the Samaritan sees the man, he's a fellow, and he doesn't dig through his bag and think, well, I gotta buy groceries today, and I gotta hit Home Depot, and yeah, I don't know if I have enough money to help this guy. Maybe somebody else will do it. He doesn't do any of that, does he? He instantly responds. He doesn't know that guy. That wasn't his friend or someone that he had made a relationship with. This was someone he didn't even know. He sees him, his heart is moved, and he has a reaction to it, right? The other thing about this, which I think is really cool, is that the Samaritan is actually somebody that is in the the hierarchy of that day. Samaritans were the bottom of the barrel. They were people that you would never expect to react. And I don't think Jesus used him by mistake. I don't think he picked a Samaritan just out of the blue. He was so intentional. Why? Why did he use the Samaritan? I think so that we can see that no matter who we encounter, and no matter who you are, you don't have to be a priest or a Levite. You can be anyone and react to what's around you. Do you get that? You get to just be you, and when you see it, you respond. If it's prayer, then it's prayer. I can't go to Nepal. I want to, I wish I could, but I can't. So I'm praying for them. I I just grieve for the families that have lost kids. I grieve for the families that can't find whole groups of people right now. I can't imagine what it feels like. I have to let that sink in. I have to, and I have to respond to it. So let me bring um, the story a little bit closer. Oh, sorry, I'm going backwards. Let me bring it a little bit closer to us. What did they all see? The same man. And what, how did he respond? He responded by giving of himself. So what do you see? I'm going to bring it a little closer now. I think what you see is um, the things around you right here in Green Bay. I'm going to bring Nepal to Green Bay. Is that possible? Um, There's homelessness right here in Green Bay that I think we're so unaware of. I think in Green Bay, homelessness is kind of that um, behind closed doors we talk about it. You don't see it. It's not like you walk around and see homelessness here in Green Bay, right? Um, It's a little bit hidden. And so what I want to talk to you about is a little bit about what's going on right here in our city. If you are homeless in Green Bay, it's actually defined as living in a place that's not humanly, um, you're not supposed to inhabit it. It's not meant for human habitation. You could be living in a shelter. Uh, You could be living doubled up with family, maybe two or three families in a small apartment. Um, Or friends, maybe you live with friends. Um, It could mean that you live in your car. Um, It could be that you're in a shelter. So those are all considered homeless here in Green Bay. In the past three months, Green Bay shelters have collectively served 500 individuals. 500 individuals. And they're probably pretty normal-looking people. I just want you to know. They're not what you think, so I don't think you even realize they're around you and in your neighborhoods. 
Of the 500, here's a couple of stats. 80 were families representing 200 kids. 15 military veterans were in that number. 15 of them are military veterans. 202 had some type of disability and are working through some pretty heavy issues. 200 of them. Are we even aware that they're around us? I can slip into the Levite sandals so easy. <laughs> um, I'm confessing it because I know <laughs> what you feel. I feel the same thing. I am just like you. And I need to be made aware all the time. Um, last week I sat in a meeting with the Giving Tree ladies um, who I just adore. I adore all the partners I work with. You guys are just amazing. I have so much respect for you. I'll introduce you guys to them in a minute. But I was sitting with Lynn and uh, she said to me, we were talking about the bags and what we were going to pack in or how we were going to coordinate some of the bagging stuff. And she said, you know, I need to keep my homeless food close and handy. And I said to her, wait, wait a minute, what do you mean? I mean, isn't it all homeless food? I thought that's what we were doing with the bags. And she said, oh, no, no, I have homeless food that I keep in my office. It's got to be handy because I have kids that come into school. This is Howard Swamico, by the way. I have kids who come into school who don't have any food at home for breakfast and haven't eaten, and they just cannot concentrate. And so she'll see one of them, and they can't. Oh, it just breaks my heart. And I know in the Green Bay School District, it's even a bigger issue. And these kids go to school and they haven't eaten, sometimes on Monday, all weekend. And so they come in, they get something to eat quick, and then they can study a little bit better in their classroom. Don't tune me out. <laughs> I want to. I want to tune me out. I don't want to know that. Lynn, I didn't want Lynn to tell me that, because then I can go on in my own little world and not have to deal with it, not have to respond. But as soon as she said it, I thought of my two girls, and I thought of Allie and Haley going to school and not having anything to eat in our house, and I think, oh my goodness. I mean, it's funny, our teachers, I, can, I keep looking around the room, I see all of our different teachers, and I think, our teachers nowadays are not just teaching. They balance between teaching and taking care of the needs that are arising in their classrooms with their kids. And it's becoming more and more complicated for them. And they just do a fantastic job. So if you see a teacher, hug them. Tell them they do a great job. When I think about that, I think, wow, now the fella I'm talking about in this story is here. And I walk by him. And Nepal is here, and we walk by him. And I want to make you aware of it. One of our teachers came up to me after the 815 service and said, one of my sixth graders this week is um, being, they're being evicted from their apartment and will be considered homeless. And they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Howard Swamico, guys. Howard Swamico School District. And she said, it's real. I see his face when you say it. I know him. I know who it is. And it breaks my heart. So why do we respond to these things, guys? I could tell you stats all morning, actually. And uh, I think it would move you maybe a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> but I think what I need you to realize is when you think about the fella on the ground and you think, well, 
I don't know what it's like to be in need. I have food in my kitchen. I have a roof over my head. Most of us probably have at least one car in our family. Um, we have jobs. Some don't. Some do. Um, but for the most part, I think for most of us, we don't struggle quite like that. So we look at that and we think, well, I don't relate to that. I don't relate to the fella on the ground. But I have to take you back, because I think I can motivate you for a moment, but when you walk out, I don't know if that's the motivation, just me giving you stats. I think you have to relate to the fella on the ground. And the way we relate to the fella on the ground is realizing our own desperation and need for a savior. I think when you go back to remember what it was like when before you knew Christ as your Savior, what was that like? And then you realized what he did for you on the cross. What he did for you was he stopped. He poured oil and wine on your wounds. He put you in your, his car, if we had to make it modern. He drove you to the hospital. He sat by your side. He didn't know you. He sat by your side, paid your medical bills. In today's day and age, if someone paid your medical bills, would you freak out? Come on now. Paid your medical bills and then also said, I don't care what kind of bill they rack up, I'm paying for it, I'll be back. Who did that for you? You have to remember that Christ did that for you. That's your motivation. It's going back and realizing what Christ did to, for me changed my heart. So when I see need, I relate. I relate. If you don't relate that way and you want to talk about what Christ did for you and maybe you don't understand what he did for you on the cross, I'd be happy to talk with you. I know there's people that will be in the Connection Lounge after that would be happy to talk with you about what Christ did for you. Because once we remember what he did for us, it compels us to have a compassionate heart. That's what he calls us to do. Don't turn it off. Don't click. <laughs> Don't shut your phone off. So there's needs right around us. I'm so delighted to have uh, our partners here. Um, these are people that work with the needs that are around Green Bay every day, every day. They're very much acquainted with what the needs are in Green Bay. And I've invited them here out in our lobby, and not only in our lobby, but um, there's also down in the village a table for those of you that are in the village watching. Uh, Jen is there, and she'll answer the questions for these organizations. But I'm so excited they're here, and I get to introduce you to them. Because I think when we respond out of compassion, I think the needs, once you're exposed to them, you can't walk away. I'm challenging you to respond to the compassion in your heart. So I have some partners here, and I'd love to introduce them. I'm so excited to have them here as our guests. And so I'm going to introduce them to you and tell you a little bit about what each one of them does here in Green Bay. Um, if I could have Lydia stand. Uh, she is from Freedom House and Robin. Sorry, <laughs> Lydia was only here uh, the first service. Robin is the director of Freedom House. Lydia is our um, volunteer coordinator. So I love that you see their faces. Will you guys do a 360 since, yeah, please give them a hand. So Freedom House uh, serves our families with kids. 
Um, but they not only serve our family as a shelter, our families with children, but they also provide programs that help families get on their feet. And hopefully the hope is that they get on their feet and they become self-sustaining. And I love what they do. I'm so supportive of that organization. So thank you for coming. That's wonderful. Um, we also have uh, um, Carrie Schatzman from House of Hope. Can you stand up? Thank you for being our guest. Yeah. So Carrie and her group at the House of Hope work with young ladies who are young moms between the ages of 18 and 24. And they, they love on those moms. They encourage them. They teach them how to be great moms, but also job placement, helping them find jobs, helping them become self-sustaining, teaching them how to budget, teaching them a whole host of things. I love what they do at House of Hope. So you guys can go out and see Carrie, and if you're down at the village, um, Jen will be down there to answer questions. So thank you, Carrie, for being here. Um, we also have Kingdom Come Food Pantry. Karen is our guest today, if you don't mind standing. Yeah. And turn around. There you go. So Kingdom Come Food Pantry is up in Ocano Falls. And what I love about this pantry is that you guys welcome everybody in. There's not, they don't have to show what kind of income they have. They don't have to show where they live. They can come from anywhere. And they serve, I mean, 200 families, over 200 families every week come through their doors on, I believe it's Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. And so we go up in our Saturday serve and spend time sorting food and, you know, putting things out on the shelves and cleaning and tagging and, I mean, there's all kinds of things. And it's pretty cool what they do up there. If you guys ever get a chance to go up there with our Saturday serve, I encourage you to do that. So thank you, Karen, for being here. And then the other gal that I have here today is um, in, with St. John's Shelter. Actually, I have a gentleman and a gal. Where are they? <laughs> They're hiding. Lexi? There we go. Lexi and Alex. Thank you. And they both work at St. John's Shelter. They are not married, by the way. I didn't mean to introduce you uh, together. Um, but they work at St. John's Shelter. What I love about St. John's Shelter is they serve single adults. They serve uh, adults that have come probably through a number of different shelters or maybe have tried to get into different shelters. And St. John's would say, they are kind of the last stop for adults that are struggling. And so they take anybody in, and it's, it's a wonderful organization. So they take them in for, it's a night shelter. So they come, they have dinner, they stay through, in the shelter that night, and they eat breakfast in the morning, and they head out during the day. And so they're just what's called a temporary shelter. But they also provide programming, which I love. So they work with folks, a lot of folks that have, um, maybe uh, addiction or um, some kind of mental issues, things like that. Not all of them, but some of them. And what I love about them is they have a heart to set programs up that wrap around their needs. And so they address the needs. They aren't just a come and sleep at our place and then go. So I love watching them do what they do. They also are part of the MICA Center, which is the new daytime shelter. So you can go in and spend the day, and they have lots of programs there as well, which is very, very exciting. So thank you guys for coming. And uh, the last one here is um, Courtney, if you could stand, with the Giving Tree. Yes. With uh, Howard Swamico. And so the Giving Tree is in the Howard Swamico School District. And we do the um, holiday store with them. And so Courtney's representing a whole host of social workers and, and just crazy volunteers who do just about anything that... Uh, you ask them to do. 
They're pretty amazing. I mean, they are a pantry, but they also do a back-to-school backpack program. They um, provide for kids that can't go to summer school. They help pay for them. They give them scholarships to a whole host of things, that active, after-school activities that go on. They also will give out the granola bar to the kid that comes to school that hasn't eaten. And they all do it out of, honestly, it's mostly volunteer. Um, they get very little, they have very little margin for the pay of someone to do that. And then above and beyond what their social work is, they do all these other things. And I love your hearts because, and all of you guys, honestly, when you see a need, hits the heart, out comes action. And I love that. So thank you, Courtney, for being here. I appreciate it. What I love about these organizations is that they're giving you guys a chance to be exposed to the need in Green Bay. That's why they're here. Why should you get involved with them? It's not because out of guilt, uh, kind of like the guy who asked Jesus, how do I get to heaven? It's not going to give you any extra credit. Um, it's not going to give you any more you know, jewels in heaven, I don't think. I think we're doing it out of, out of a reaction to what Christ did for us. That's why we do it. So I'm asking you, don't tune it out. I'm asking you to become aware of what the needs are around you. Maybe it's not with these organizations. Maybe it's you driving down the street and you see a need and you think, I could address that. And don't turn it off. Let it sink into your heart. Ask God, what are you asking me to do to respond to this? I had someone who called me on Friday and uh, left me a message and said, can you please call me back? And I spent yesterday preparing for this, most of the day writing it up, and I didn't call her back. And uh, I totally pulled exactly what I, I'm trying to talk to you guys about which was my things were more important than getting back to her. And I saw it. I mean, last night about 10.30, I thought, Trisha, you're going to get up and teach this, and you are doing exactly what you shouldn't do. It's like Paul when he says, I do the things I, I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I should do. That's me. So I catch myself in it all the time. And I wish I would have called her back. I wish I would have. So I know what it's like to turn it off when you see the need. I know. I know what you feel. I'm challenging you as we go to communion this morning to think about what Christ did for you. Think about what he did on the cross for you. When you go out in the, in the lobby today and you, and you meet some of these gals and you see what the needs are, um, you can sign up for our Saturday serve, which is coming up in May. And there's a couple other opportunities to do out there as well. And we'd love to get you more involved in what's going on with Saturday serve. There's some things like cleaning up here at church. Um, Doug needs some uh, assistance with do, doing some outside spring cleaning. Or there's um, making cards for people that are, are maybe not able to come to church. Um, or have lost a loved one. Or is sick right now. Um, you can be a part of that. We're also doing one called Drive-By Raking. So we did this a couple years ago. I think we might have done it last year too. So it's just you grabbing like a bunch of your friends or maybe your small group or maybe just everybody sitting around you and saying, let's do Saturday serve on May 16th. 
we'll bring our gloves, we'll bring our rakes, and you just literally go into your, how many of you have neighbors that you know could use some help with raking their yard? That there's no way they're gonna do it. Yes, exactly, I do. I have a couple of neighbors that I know this is gonna be a big job for them. So if you had, if I had, like my whole small group, if I make them all come with me, and we all pull up and you jump out and you rake the yard, it takes you literally 20, 30 minutes. It's amazing, and it's so fun to do. So it's, it, you can do things like that. You can be the Samaritan. It's so easy to do those things. So I encourage you, when you see the need, figure out how to meet it. I know, I've met so many of you guys that are already doing amazing things that, aside from what these guys are doing, and I love it. I love that you're responding to the need. So let's go to communion this morning, and let's remember what Christ did for us. Let me pray for you. <coughs> Father God, I just... Uh, Thank you for what you did for us, for uh, seeing our need, for seeing my need, for seeing me as someone that you wanted to come down and die on the cross for, for saying I'm worth it, for saying I'm valuable, for saying that um, you would have done this just for me. And so, Father, I pray as each one goes to take communion that they're reminded of what you did for them that they're moved with compassion in their heart when they see the needs around them, whatever those would be. And God, I pray you put on our hearts what you would like us to do with what we feel. And I pray for the families in Nepal. I pray for those that are looking for their loved ones. I pray for the ones that are grieving. I pray for the ones that don't have a place to stay tonight. I pray, God, for those that are trying to help. I pray for energy. I pray for resources. I just ask you, God, we cry out to you collectively as a church, and we pray for them, and we pray you wrap your arms around them, that they feel your love, that they find you in the midst of this tragedy. And we ask this all in your name, amen.